0: Welcome to episode 15 of OT Conversations That Matter, the podcast. My name is Justine Jecker, and I will be hosting today's conversation with Gail Restall and Mary Egan, editors of the new textbook, Promoting Occupational Participation, Collaborative Relationship-Focused Occupational Therapy. This textbook has over three dozen contributing authors. Dr. Egan's research is driven by curiosity regarding the legitimate goals of occupational therapy and how these are best reached. She is particularly interested in how people return to valued activities within meaningful social contexts following serious health events. This has led to work related to how occupational therapy and rehabilitation are conceptualized and how processes of occupational therapy support or thwart occupational participation. Dr. Restall's scholarship is driven by a passion for involving people who require health and social services in their own care, program development, research and social policy making. Through her research, she explores the experiences of people living with chronic health conditions and accessing supports and services to participate in community life and the systems and policy changes needed for full occupational participation. She is committed to ongoing and lifelong work to facilitate justice and equity in health and well-being for for individuals, families, groups, communities and populations. The intention of this book is to address the fundamental purpose of occupational therapy, which involves helping others to gain access to, initiate, and sustain occupational participation. The book emphasizes that occupational therapy is focused on collaborative relationships with individuals, families, communities, and populations. Considered an evolutionary advancement in our thinking, the publication introduces three important developments. First, how occupational therapists characterize relationships with clients. Second, the primary aim of practice. And third, how the profession is responding to justice, equity and rights for individuals and collectives. There is a new model, the Canadian Model of Occupational Participation, or CANMOP, and a new framework, the Canadian Occupational Therapy Interrelational Practice Process, or COTIP. These models seek to replace former thinking from the Enabling Occupation II textbook that focused on the CMAP and CPPF. The book was launched this past spring at the CAUT conference in Whistler and has currently sold o- over 800 copies in both French and English. The purpose of the podcast today is to give Gail and Mary an opportunity to respond to early commentary on the book regarding its purpose. Different from previous podcasts, where we usually focus on three to four questions, we've included a dozen questions from clinicians and academics who have had time to dive into the book. So welcome to you both, Gail and Mary. Thank you, Justine, for having us. It's great to have you. With the release of the new Competencies for Occupational Therapists in Canada in November 2021, I'll start with you, Gail. I'm wondering, and occupational therapists are wondering if the new textbook is aligned with these competencies. Yes, we see
1: the textbook is aligned with the competencies, but it serves a different purpose. The competencies are minimal standards of practice. The textbook, on the other hand, provides the how therapists do occupational therapy that will help them to meet those standards. We had opportunities during the development of both documents to collaboratively discuss um, things like terminology and approaches.
0: That's a great clarification and it's wonderful to see how they support one another, but are separate documents. Another question we received is, does the textbook replace Enabling Occupation 2 or can it be used alongside this textbook? In another, in other words, is this book evolutionary or complementary? Well, Justine, the textbook is evolutionary. It brings
2: forth new concepts and approaches that have built on previous Canadian guidelines, additional scholarship, and advances in practice. In promoting occupational participation, collaborative relationship-focused occupational therapy We explicitly define the primary aim of occupational therapy as helping people participate in valued occupations within meaningful relationships and contexts. This represents an evolution in practice that can be traced from promoting function in the first model that was in the yellow books, Guidelines for Client-Centered Practice of OT, and here function meant independently carrying out activities, particularly activities of daily living, Uh, To enabling occupational performance in CMOP, which was described as accomplishing self-care, productivity, or leisure occupations, to occupational engagement in CMOP-E, and that was about the experience of involvement in an occupation. Occupational participation is a broader concept related to having access to and initiating and sustaining what individuals and collectives want and need to do to achieve the lives that they consider to
0: be good wonderful thank you for that explanation mary it really uh resonates the broader concept piece and the higher level of complexity that it's considering uh with the relationships um in, in individual contexts Gail, to you, uh, what is your advice for academics and clinicians who are in the process of developing this new understanding of occupation? And second to that, what does it mean for curriculum in the 14 universities across the country? Well, I'll start with curriculum.
1: So many curriculums have been designed in the context of Enabling Occupation too and the evolution to promoting occupational participation, collaborative relationship focused occupational therapy will require an overall to be consistent with the new guidelines. One potential uh, approach is for programs to begin with teaching and learning that provides students with a strong grounding in the concepts and current understandings of occupation and occupational participation in a socio-political context. Next, we suggest uh, that understandings of doing occupational therapy begin with a focus on relationship-focused practice that will promote building and sustaining collaborative relationships, which are really important um, as therapists interact with individuals and collectives. Teaching and learning processes can then focus on the knowledge and skills and attitudes required to um, the the, um, processes that we talk about in the book to seek understanding about context, to use justice, equity and rights-based lenses as they apply to occupations and occupational participation, and to reflect, critically reflect and reason about relationships context, um, justice, equity, rights, occupations, occupational therapy, um, and occupational participation. So we see that once students have a strong foundation in these essential and foundational concepts and processes, they can then be guided to apply the processes holistically to the action domains of the COTIP with the aim of promoting occupational participation. The structure of the book is suggestive of this sequence of teaching and learning. So the ways that the uh, chapters have been um, uh, put forth in the book are very consistent with what we think would be helpful in terms of um, curriculum development. The other part of the question was with uh, regard to practicing occupational therapists, including academics and clinicians in the process of developing this new understanding of occupational therapy. And in that regard, we encourage ongoing dialogue with colleagues. Uh, We have heard that units have begun book clubs with colleagues to explore and discuss each of the chapters. We think this is a marvelous idea. Uh, we are hopeful that the, this podcast will be helpful, and we encourage therapists to submit questions to CAOT that can be addressed in potential subsequent podcasts.
0: Thank you, Gail. I think it was really helpful to hear you state that an overhaul is required in curriculum. Um, I know one of the experiences I had Um, During the core comm process before COTC became COTC was this thinking that it's not such a big jump from, you know, what we were previously doing in the essential competencies to what is expected of us as OTs in the new competencies, but I think that's that's a really different message when we think of the textbook, when we look at enabling occupation too, and promoting occupational um, participation, knowing that an overhaul in curriculum is suggested. I think that is very clear in terms of where we're trying to go in the profession at this point. So thinking on that note, I'm wondering then Mary, can students still learn both the traditional and modern understanding of occupation?
2: As we were talking about before, that this really is the profession has evolved and and we hope that this uh, text really shows that evolution Um, we've incorporated and the authors have incorporated, um, you know, years of research, including the most recent research on occupation and occupational therapy and also um, clinical experience that people have gained um, working in the profession. So students may benefit from a historical context for this evolution, however, modern understandings of occupation and occupational participation need to be at the forefront of teaching and learning and practice.
0: And just coming off of the WFOT conference, would you say that that was an experience for you being in Paris, this kind of newer understanding of occupation?
2: I'll have to uh,
0: switch that one over to Gail, who was in Paris. <laughs> My apologies, Mary. Gail, over to you. Um, um, we are in
1: evolution, I believe, in the profession, and um, I I truly believe that This uh, textbook and the ways that uh, Canadian occupational therapists are thinking about the practice of occupational therapy and their aspirations for practicing um, are are at the forefront of what um, occupational therapy could look like in the future.
0: And that kind of segues into the next question we had lined up in the sense of, does the new book impact day-to-day practice? So have you felt that, I know it's only been released, you know, six months, but are you starting to see that? Yes, it's hard to say uh, this
1: early in the process, but we are confident um, that the new model approach and framework will resonate with therapists in their daily practice. And we certainly have had conversations um, with therapists that would um, suggest that that is true. Um, We also think that it will be challenging um, for therapists to deeply consider and critically reflect on the contextual influences on practice um, to increase their own and their colleagues practices toward an um, anti-oppressive and justice oriented approach um we but we are excited to hear from therapists working in a variety of settings about how the guidelines have and uh, will influence their practices
0: Yes, and to put in a plug for our uh, next conference in Saskatoon, May 2023, I think it would be great to see some submissions from uh, some clinicians or academics where they are uh, talking about how the book is impacting day-to-day practice. Uh, just a quick note to our listeners: the deadline is November 1st to get in submissions. But I think a, a great opportunity to uh, start to connect, and, and that will really be a year from when the, the book launched. So. Now, Mary, for our next question, this is a big one. Um, With regards to teaching um, occupational performance issues, this was this is a big part of our language um, and jargon that we use in occupational therapy. Where is this concept captured in the new book? Yeah, that's a great question, Justine.
2: Um, Thinking about this um, in a broad sense, you know, we've been talking in OT for a long time about doing, being, becoming, and belonging, and I think occupational performance is absolutely about the doing part, but sometimes leaves out, you know, the being, becoming, and belonging, and that's where occupational participation comes in. So, with that introduction, um, we have avoided um, using the term occupational performance and occupational performance issues. Um, partly uh, largely because um we want this broader sense of of what we help promote uh, in occupational therapy and and that we do it in a very strengths based way. um and I think the the occupational performance issue can take us away from that strength-based approach to a more problem, you know, what is the problem rather than what is the uh, the way through. Um, we've also um, adopted the terms physical, cognitive, and affective factors that affect the performance of an occupation rather than occupational performance issues. Again, to um, uh, to to um, possibly uh, you know while we're we're OT is very great at looking at those things and it's it's a real expertise, but just to ensure that everything else is considered as well. Um, so we have ex- uh, explicitly named promoting occupational participation. And again, I'll give the definition as uh, having access to initiating and sustaining valued occupations within meaningful relationships and contexts. And so that is the is our goal of occupational therapy. And I think a lot of therapists would say, yes, that's definitely. that's always been my goal. This is just um now I can can talk about it in a in a broad way. So promoting occupational participation requires collaborative exploration, so exploration with the individual, the collective of the meaning and purpose of desired or needed occupational participation. Um, And uh, and, and as well, um, so the the desired or needed stem from the individual collective's history and, and their relationships. And occupational participant possibilities are the other big side of, of what we consider. Um, and these of course stem from the micro, meso and macro contexts about what are the possibilities that are that are open to the individual or collective and give us an opportunity to look at how can we enlarge those how can we um, uh, how can we make things more possible. So. Along with contextual issues, physical, cognitive and effective factors are considered um, in this way. Uh, there's a um, the these factors are placed um, in the background of collaborative exploration. They're they're not the super, super focus, but we understand them. We appreciate them. We know how to to deal with them. But um, really, when you're looking for possibilities, it's those contextual pieces that have the the greatest uh, uh, greatest potential um, to to make things uh, the the doing being becoming and belonging more more possible for people. Um, so uh, this um, responds to a call for occupational therapists to work in an, in a more anti-oppressive manner, and it does so in a lot of different ways that. I will maybe go on and on about unless you (laughs) would like to jump
0: in. Well, no, I want to say thank you very much for taking the time to explain the occupational participation piece and occupational possibilities and just why the textbook has, you know, chosen to to really stay away from the concept of occupational performance issues or problem based language that is bringing us down a very specific narrow path um i think that's really helpful and i know that the model itself is one of the ways for us you, you had mentioned um occupational therapists now really needing to appreciate and learn how to work in an anti-oppressive manner and i understand that for the can mop that's really the model that will guide us you know when when OTs are thinking well okay if i'm not o- doing opis what am i doing it's really the can mop right it's it's being able to engage um, and I'm wondering if you can help us understand that a little bit more, because I know for the listeners that's just an acronym right now.
2: <laughs> right. Right. So, and and it really is this three uh, three large chunks. So the 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 can mop uh, the co tip. So the process is one that is um, uh, anti oppressive, and also this idea of um, everything is based on these collaborative relationships. Uh, collaborative relationships that the therapist is always going back and and uh, working to establish and maintain and repair when necessary those relationships. Um, but if I can go on and, and can mock for a while, as I love to do. Um, so CANMOP um, makes explicit occupational therapy's aim of holistic care. Um, we've been talking about this since day one. Um, Marianne McCall pointed out in 1994 that you can't split people into parts and, and still do holistic care. Uh, so um, the, the time was right to, uh, to move a little bit forward on this. So, uh, so we're very pleased that the, the model does that, we believe. Um, Importantly, we believe that CAMOP helps challenge ableist and biomedical notions that a person uh, requires a certain level of capacity. So their performance components have to be at a certain level before they can participate in a particular occupation. And we know that's not true, right? It's so much about the context, how much support you have um, support, um, just uh, what the the conditions are. and uh, what your what your resources are Um, as well. um, uh, CanMOP uh, helps us move away from the notion um, that your performance is the limiting factor. Um, And, uh, you know, even today, I think sometimes we misinterpret that. Sometimes we forget that. No, it's not about performance, but it's about finding um, ways through to that occupational participation goal, what you want to do, what you you need to do um, by looking at the context. Um, So CANMOP helps us move away. Yeah, this is my favorite in many ways. It helps us move away from the implicit idea that the occupational therapist principle is role is to discover what's wrong with the person. <laughs> and um, it's not, it's discover what that person wants to do and needs to do to live a good life, um, the life that they define. And so um when we uh, move away from that language of of problems and issues and and assessment of problems and issues, that it it helps us remember that that that's the goal and uh um, there are there are different ways to do things. Um, so in uh, this, you know, Mary Law has been talking about this for many years and many others, the importance of the environment moving from fi- uh, fi- fixing, I'm not sure I'd say function, because sometimes we tend to um, put function in, with uh, ADL, but moving f- sort of from fixing to this uh, occupational uh, goal, occupational, uh, what people need to do and want to do with where they want to do it, with the people they want to do it, to what ends they want to do it. Um, So, um, and that this um, really um, is important to focus on uh, um, the context of the person or the collective, their strengths, their resources, and their micro, meso, and macro level environments. Um, So the other nice thing about CANMOP, um, while uh, that uh, CMOP was possible potentially to apply with collectives. Um, CANMOP was really designed to go back and forth between individuals and collectives and so so that's quite helpful. Um, So with individuals, uh, physical cognitive affective factors as well as beliefs, values, spiritualities and social identities are considered and with collective resources and utilization of resources, shared histories, values, and beliefs and interrelationships are considered. And uh, finally, um, what I'm really keen about is that, that CANMOP is useful or can be useful to occupational therapists in describing occupational therapists' profound knowledge and expertise Related to collaboratively promoting occupational participation among individuals and collectives, so it's not just about these assessing the performance components or assessing performance, but it's really this. um, The expertise also includes this broader understanding of, um, you know, how do you look at what people want to do, what people need to do, how uh, how do you look at uh, context, relationships, um, all of those things that I think we have we have the expertise in we we um uh, people need our expertise in all of those areas and i think can mop helps us do that
0: thank you so much for that explanation mary and you know it really has me thinking because when we think of you know, how even job descriptions are made for occupational therapists and where they're working. Um, and, and I'm always, anybody who's listened to the podcast know, knows that my brain is usually thinking of areas of practice and where OTs work in different areas of practice. And when I listen to CANMOP, I can easily visualize OTs working in mental health with older adults in global health, arenas in leadership positions. It just feels like it's, it just is a natural fit then I start to think of other areas of practice. So OT is working in wound care, ICU, uh, hand therapy, um, remedial cognition, and 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 that that will be interesting. I think time will tell how CANMOP will apply in those settings where um, those those jobs those roles are set up to look for the problem to to really focus on. Um, you know the starting point is remediation in order to engage in occupation. Uh, but I i love that this is challenging all OTs, regardless of the area of practice, to be thinking of that that's that's where we should be striving for. We should really be um using that Cam op mentality to be able to engage in day-to-day practice to get people participating at the highest level. Uh, like you said, regardless of their ability when they start the process. So um I, I think that was very well explained, and I know it's helped me. I, I've had an opportunity to read that chapter a couple times, but I I feel like I heard it for the first time with you, so that was great. Um, I will go to Gail for our our next big question, because you know now we're now we're getting into the big questions. Um, Uh, This was a a great one that came in from uh, an academic, and I think it does apply actually to all OTs because it's one of our biggest models. But the question is, is there an expectation to give up the PEO model and or no longer identify OPIs moving forward?
1: Yes, Justine, that is uh, an excellent question. Um, The CANMAP and the PEO share um, many considerations um, together and you know the PEO has been very influential in the practice of occupational therapy and it, that's certainly recognized in the CANMOP so the CAMOP shares with the PEO considerations of the interactions among the person their environment and their occupations um, and like the PEO the CANMOP includes concepts related to um, Temporality. Whereas the PEO model included um, the concept of development and lifespan, um, in the CANMOP, we've considered the life course to highlight the importance of therapists collaboratively exploring with the individual or collective significant events um, in their lives. So we know that. contemporary thinking and research about life course has indicated that that's very important and so we've brought that um, into uh, the can model so the peo is valuable in thinking about interactions among um, the person environment and occupation when considering occupational performance and as Mary has elaborated, um, CANMOP really broadens these concepts by including interpersonal, interpersonal, and sociocultural and political considerations. So, again, we're broadening these ideas um, that are encouraging therapists to think um, more widely about participation um, uh, in... a. Uh, in the context of how people uh, interact with their um, uh, environments. The CANMOP also encourages therapists to consider occupational participation in that broader uh, concept. So again, as Mary was elaborating, um, it's broader than occupational performance. So, performance has its primary focus on the doing, Um, participation on the other hand requires that complex understanding of who people are and want to be, and that also incorporates those ideas of being, um, becoming and belonging as forwarded by Wilcock and others um, over the last several years.
0: So really what I'm hearing, Gail, is there is a place for PEO and other occupational therapy models, but it's really important to understand them in the context in which they were created. So PEO being linked strongly to occupational performance wouldn't be the best model when you are trying to look at full occupational participation and possibilities. It's not going to allow you that full breadth to really appreciate all the dynamic factors taking place but OTs knowing that there are, you know, we, we will continue to have different types of models, but this one is really capturing um, complex ideas that reflect the environment and the relationship and the individual in one place. Now we've spent some time talk- talking about uh, the new model, the CAN MOP. We did mention in our intro that there is a new framework and uh, and that acronym is our COTIP framework. And so one of the questions that came through, this is a little bit of a lengthy question, but I do want to read it because uh, it, it provides context. Um, in comparing um, our current uh, framework that has been used up until the new book, so the Canadian uh, Practice Performance, or sorry, Canadian Performance Practice Framework, our CPPF framework. So I'm gonna I'm gonna read uh, the question, and then Gail give you an opportunity to respond about the new framework. So the CPPF is explicit at explaining how to walk a clinician or student through the process of working with a client, person, or community from the beginning to the end. The COTIP framework is not as explicit in explaining this engagement process. Is there an expectation to use both of these frameworks in teaching going forward? The focus of COTIP is strongly focused on relationship building, arguably a framework that could be used by any health professional. But how can students understand how to apply this concept technically with regards to occupation? Thanks, uh, Justine.
1: Um, The COTIP is um, an occupational therapy process framework that identifies that essential underlying process of building and sustaining relationship, those three foundational processes and six action domains. So, it builds on, but it also adds on to the processes previously identified in the CPPF. Um, However, the code... Tip has fundamental differences in that it moves from a more prescriptive engagement process to one that is fluid and emphasizes the therapist's critical reflexivity, reflection, and critical reflection in context um, as they decide what they need to do in the process. So, it brings in those foundational processes of understanding context, um, using uh, equity, justice, and rights-based lenses, and that critical reflexivity and reflection in deciding what to do. Therefore, it moves away from that more prescriptive to the therapist really um, looking at the situation and, um, and bringing together those um, ways of looking at that situation in deciding what they need to do. So we've not explained a specific process because we envision that the actions that therapists take will be different across individuals, um collectives and context. Um, and we've heard that from clinicians um, that this pro this type of process will be uh, very helpful um, across very different contexts. So that more fluid, adaptable process may be more challenging for teaching and learning, and I am sure that it will be. Um, but research clinical experience, and certainly highlighted by the voices of people with whom we work, have made this shift, um, we feel, imperative.
0: Yeah, it's... um Uh, you you know, as an OT that's almost been in practice for 15 years, it's interesting because when I graduated in uh, in 2009, I was at a time where the OPPM was transitioning to the CPPF and so it wasn't such a huge jump right you had the occupational performance practice model. Essentially, in a circular format, uh, morph into the CPPF, which was less circular. Well, I would say more more small circles than a larger circle. There was a lot of feedback loops, right, where um, uh, where students had that opportunity to understand, okay, this is where I start, and this is where I end, and these are all the elements in between. And it was almost like a recipe in, in terms of baking a cake, right? This is this is the beginning, this is the middle, this is the end. And if you make a mistake, you can go back. I think what's unique, and and I haven't had the opportunity to uh, clinically or non-clinically engage in that co-tip experience just yet. But what is really a unique factor, uh, I think, for students and clinicians in terms of wanting to apply this thinking is the critical reflexivity piece and the reflection piece, because those skill sets need to be... um, at least in development, maybe they're not fully strengthened, or you know, have have become experts in their own critical reflexivity. But there has to be a strong sense of confidence in using those skills to be able to go through the co-tip process, and um, and engage with clients in a way that helps them. And I know the term clients is something we should talk about as well at some point in this podcast, because uh, there are a lot of language shifts in the new book. Um, but I, I think that is really exciting for me to see with COTIP. And I know that um this is a framework I will be coming back to many times in the future and on future podcasts because I think I I, I like that you have challenged the reader, you've challenged the occupational therapist uh not to be prescriptive in the approach. You've actually given them you, you've done on uh, the baking, the Great Canadian Baking Show where they just get a list of the ingredients and they're not told how they're going to bake the cake. Um, that, that's what's happened here with co So you've been given these essential ingredients and you've said when you sit down and you work with this person, you know, you're going to figure out how you bake the cake together so so i think it it is really profound it it really does change the way that we uh think and i think if anything this framework pulls us really far from the the medical model which i know is one of the intentions in writing the book is wanting to uh really get ots out of that biomedical thinking and so i just wanted to share that commentary in my early days of understanding co-tip um, but it was great to hear that you have also heard from clinicians that this is going to be a helpful approach for OTs moving forward.
1: I, I also wanted to add, uh, Justine, um, that, that we certainly recognize that, um, a less prescriptive approach is, is really more challenging for both teaching and learning. Um, and, um, and. We recommend really that um you know teaching and learning starts with those essential the essential underlying process, progresses to those three foundational processes, and then integrates these in considering those action domains, which are still in the COTIP model. There's there's the 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 intentions of what therapists might do. Um are are still evident in in that process, um, and that they focus on promoting occupational participation. Um, so the therapist's understanding of occupation and occupational participation are absolutely essential. Um, you know, it is those three components: the um, relationship-focused practice, the CanMOP and the COTIP used together, that um, is the doing of occupational therapy. Um, so therapists will use their understanding of occupational participation while using the process framework. And this uh, focus on that intention to collaborate with the individual or collective to promote occupational participation is absolutely where occupational therapists will excel.
0: That was so beautifully said, Gail. Thank you for that. Um, you know, in reflecting on everything you both shared so far, I think these questions are, are kind of going to answer themselves. Uh, we had one that was really focused on the use of assessments. And so this is for you, Mary. Uh, what type of assessments would be used when considering collaborative relationship-focused occupational therapy?
2: Just, Gita, you know, I'm really struck by your analogy with the great Canadian uh, bake off, and I'm I'm thinking, you know, it's interesting because an assessment would be okay. This person has to make a cake, and it's like, well, do they want to make a cake, you know, or is there a specific type of cake because their auntie always made this cake, and now they want to make their cake for the auntie, and you know, or is it is it something else, or you know, is it not cake? Is it anyway? I it 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 just it anyway. Me took me places maybe I shouldn't have gone, but. I think you identified that um we did avoid the term assessment for very consciously, and I think uh, there there are two, uh, an evaluation. and I think there are two main reasons for that. And you've also spoken about how, and uh, which uh, really I was delighted to hear how you felt that this was pulling us away from a biomedical approach. Um, we do work in biomedical systems, but we are not uh we 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 are we, we are occupation focused, which is not a biomedical thing. Um, so what we wanted, to, why why we got away from the assessment evaluation is because it's to promote the idea that um, to promote occupational participation with an individual or collective, um, the focus is really on that desired occupational participation. What will they be doing? With whom? In which environments? How will they be doing it? And for what reason? and And this requires a true dialogue rather than a highly structured process of seeing if certain things are in place and checking things off, um as is implied in using the the words assessment or evaluation. i I think most occupational therapists um, when they think about evaluations, often think, "I wish I didn't have to do this because I really need to focus on." you know, how this person gets into their tub or, you know, whether they want to take a bath or a shower. But, you know, they—they're. I think we've always felt a little uncomfortable with a lot of assessments for that reason, because we knew that it was about the person or the collective, what they wanted to do. But we were pulled um, in a different direction because of the assessments. Um, And the other thing um, I think the The problem is that assessment evaluations suggest that there's a correct or an incorrect way of doing something. and um if and 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 also there there's some problem that's residing in a body structure or body function that we have to somehow either at least identify, try to remediate all those kinds of things. and and we know that's not what ah that, that that's not the you can do all kinds of things that's why occupational therapy is here so that you can do and continue to do all kinds of things that are important um, despite having having these these problems doing them in the quotation air quotes right way um, so there are, however, situations where formal evaluations and assessments may be necessary and they may be helpful for the individual collective. One that comes to mind is, you know, rec- rec- uh, completing the required paperwork that somebody might need to access products or services, uh, among others. But however, we envision that the process of determining needed or desired occupation. So just spending that time trying to figure out what that person needs to do, wants to do. Um, and it, and and how that can come about. It, it's a, it's a collaborative dialogue um, exploring context, concerns, goals, priorities with individuals and collectives, using multiple sources of information, um, and uh, but really prioritizing that uh, that dialogue with the person or collective who will be doing that occupation.
0: Thank you. This does tie to a kind of our next follow up question around assessment and the COPM in particular, because we look at this, especially as Canadians, and I know around the world, this is a very strongly used assessment, considered the gold standard in many countries for intake assessment. Um, what would you say about the COPM and the idea of assessing occupational participation? Yeah, and and you know, it's interesting because the, the, CO, the
2: COPM, fabulous still works great want to see more of it you know that kind of thing i think it it's very nicely aligned with the model and it it just it provides this wonderful structure for collaborative exploration of what the person wants to do needs to do the collective wants to do needs to do um and it, it's interesting because you 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 know you come up with these um these things that the person wants to do and then they or give you their um uh, uh, how how they feel about how they're doing it and and uh, how satisfied are they with how they're doing it um so it 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 completely aligns it's beautiful um i think the one thing um that we would suggest is is not you know worrying too much about the self care productivity and leisure categorization of things um which i imagine a lot of people already you know it, it's a uh, do because appreciating that things can cross uh, cross categories or be thought of very differently by different people. So once um, it, it, once if, if as long as you don't sort of focus on sticking within those boundaries, um, it, which I think a lot of people already do it. it, it yeah, it works great.
0: Thank you. You've you've brought us full circle, reflecting kind of on uh, the textbook and and all so many concepts. I mean, there's so much that we can go into, and and I'm very excited to have a future podcast to follow up on many other concepts in the book that we didn't have a chance to get to today. But I am going to pose our final question. I'm going to have a chance for Gail to respond. And then last words to you, Mary. Um, So we've talked about the book today being an evolution of the profession, really shifting focus from solely on the individual to on the relationship between the individual and the occupational therapist, considering the context in which this relationship is taking place in order to support occupational participation. For those outside of our profession of occupational therapy, do you feel that the book has made the profession more clearly understood, or have we added to the challenge of defining occupational therapy? I strongly feel that it helps to really define
1: um, the intention of occupational therapy and the way that um, occupational therapy is done. Um, I, I, um, I, so to answer your question in a very short way, yes, I believe it does help to clarify, um, both for folks inside and outside the
2: profession. And you, do we have consensus with you, Mary? <laughs> I think so. I, you know, we're, our language is always going to be difficult. Um, I think, um, we're really hoping that, you know, moving towards, you know, this idea of person or collective and um, context, um, it it uh, it will help. Um, uh, but the language is all I mean, the, the title occupational therapist is continually a problem. Right. But um, uh, we're and I I but I think to I think that this does help us um, really establish our, our broad expertise. And and make it understandable that our focus is on pe- what people want to do and need to do um, in their context um, that we explore and 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 help with in a in a collaborative manner or a collaborative relationship focused manner or that it's not a biomedical I'm not assessing you and giving you this treatment I'm collaborating with you and um so and and also our our expertise in 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 how that it's not just the doing it's the the being becoming belonging that um that is is very complex but thank goodness we
0: have that expertise absolutely and i just reflecting back to kind of earlier discussions we had leading up to the podcast one thing that really stuck with me was you know if you were to put the title of the book into a sentence and say i You know i promote occupational participation it's very very clear right you understand what it is if you say this to somebody there's an understanding of what promotion is what occupation is what participation is there's a clarity to these words individually and collectively and so Um, It has been such a pleasure to be able to sit down with the two of you and really just begin to dive deep into this book. I know that uh, many occupational therapists in all realms across the country and probably outside of Canada are excited to hear uh, this first podcast episode. Uh, We welcome any questions or feedback for myself, Mary or Gail at practice at CUT.ca and if you're interested in being on a podcast with myself mary or gail let me know and otherwise thank you both so much for being on the podcast and we look forward to having you back in true ot fashion this is a disclaimer that we mention many acronyms throughout the podcast In part two of episode 15, the CPPF is mentioned. The CPPF stands for the Canadian Practice Process Framework. You'll hear that it was referred to Canadian Performance Practice Framework. Just to acknowledge, we're still OTs, we make mistakes.